Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to episode 46 of the Get Your Comic On podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring a slice of comic book, film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio to your speakers. I am, of course, joined by my very own boy wonder himself, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. I'll be wishing you all a Happy New Year at the end of this because this is our last podcast for 2020. Ooh. We're about to head into 2021, uh, or 2020 Part 2, if you wish to forget about this year, like many of us would. What have we got coming up this week, Boy Wonder? Lots of stuff. Okay. Lots of things. Okay. And discussions. So on deck this week, we have the news, where we're going to be talking about Warner Brothers' plans for 2021. We also have a massive update on production on various Star Trek series, including, but not exclusively, Disco, Picard, Brave New World, and Section 31. Plus some news on Lower Decks for UK fans. Then we're going to have a review of Wonder Woman 1984. Finally, a superhero film in the cinema, if you can get to a cinema, that is, if you're not in tier four like us. And then to wrap us up this year, we are going to talk about, well, this year and this week, we are going to give our little top fives for 2020. So, you know, I hope you've had a chance to think about your favourite films, TV shows and comics this year. Um, thinking about them now. I bet you are. Without further ado, let's crack on with the news. So, Warner Brothers has come up with a plan for 2021, which is proving to be fairly controversial. Um, At the moment, it doesn't look like they're going to relent on the idea, although there are rumours that one or two films may now not follow this plan. We'll get to those in just a second. But the idea is that the studio is presuming it's going to take a while for people to get back to the cinema, particularly in the US, must stipulate that this is very much a US plan right now. We don't know how it will factor in international territories. So they are looking to, and has been officially confirmed by the studio, mirror what they're doing with Wonder Woman 1984 with every film in 2021. So every film would see a same-day theatrical and HBO Max release will then stay on HBO Max for one month and then continue in the cinema for as long as is necessary afterwards and follow the usual home video release after that. So that means films like The Suicide Squad, The Matrix 4, Godzilla vs. Kong, basically every every Warner Brothers property for 2021 would, would follow this model Met with massive criticism. Not a lot of positivity, to be fair. Massive criticism. uh, And deemed by many as Warner Brothers killing cinema. Which is not a sentiment that I necessarily agree with. Uh, It may kill the cinema chain, or some of them, if they're not adaptive enough to survive. But I don't necessarily see it as the death of cinema. Thoughts on this topic, Boy Wonder, discuss. Well... It's the death of cinema, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Why is it the death of cinema? Well, it's not really. It's just an adaption to what's happening in the world now. Was it is. allows content to still come out without the risks of the runner. I think some of the controversy from this is more what people are not saying than what they are saying. Because... I have no issue in going to a cinema in the circumstances that we're in, here in the UK, where we're currently in Tier 4 and there are no cinemas open, but as far as we're aware, there are no major outbreaks of coronavirus which are attached to a cinema. There has been no sort of big publicised outbreak that has been tied to a cinema anywhere, particularly around the globe that I'm aware of, but it feels like the reaction from film Twitter and big media is more to look at this at how it's going to affect the big cinema chains rather than talking about the fact that there are people who have health conditions or people who are just suffering a bit of 2020 PTSD who might not feel comfortable to go to a cinema and still want to see films. If I if I didn't feel comfortable to go to a cinema then I think I would feel quite happy that my favourite studio was offering me the chance 
albeit with a subscription fee, to see the films that I would go and see if I felt comfortable enough at home. What do you think? I don't know. I think it's... I don't know. I don't know. There isn't a right or a wrong answer here, I don't think. I think people are just trying to do what's right for them and what's best for the situation. Including the studio. Including the studio. I think it's... It's hard to say that there's never been a an outbreak tied to a cinema. Because the cinema numbers are probably so low you'd never have an outbreak anyway. Yeah. So you could never say hard, fast. That's a million percent safe. But then nothing is safe. I mean, we've been to the cinema and we've seen people not following the rules. So it's you know, there are many chances that it could happen, but for those people who are saying, Oh, I'm not gonna to go to a cinema, they're, you know, hotbed of disease, that is not a proven fact at this point. It no. is just also not untrue. You just don't know. I mean, yeah. you probably got more chance. It'd be busier to go to a supermarket than it would be to go to the cinema. Yeah. But nobody's going to do any research into it because we would do. Hmm. So we just got to have to adapt, really. And change is hard. Nobody likes change. We've had a year of change. And now we're trying to adapt to this new normal. And it's quite a big change. Do so you you're t- always going to get back. Get back. Yeah. Do you see it as self-preservation on Warner Brothers' part, or do you see it as a selfless gesture? It's probably a bit of both, really. I mean, the studio's got to make films, it's got to put content out there. If it doesn't yeah. do that, then it's not a studio. Exactly. And then all those people that work in the film industry don't have anything to work for, or on, is probably a better way of saying it. True, yeah. And I suppose the flip side to that is then, yes, you could then say that people who work in the cinemas will no longer be able to continue if all the cinema chains are going bust. Because people would rather be at home. But then they've got... You might have to adapt as well. I don't know how you would do that. But it's just the world that we're living in at the moment. Does this give rise to the independent cinema where you're not necessarily squeezed for a huge ticket price and then a huge fee for drinks and snacks? I think that's probably one of the things I've learned most this year is uh, preference for the independent cinema. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Should I tell you a few more of the films on Warner Brothers 2021 release slate? Go on then. So, uh, the two I mentioned earlier, there may be a couple of films that might not follow this model. The two that are being mooted as potentially not following it are Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong. You've also got The Matrix 4, Mortal Kombat, King Richard, Space Jam, A New Legacy, which has been filmed. Kept that very quiet, Space Jam 2. Judas and the Black Messiah, The Many Saints of Newark, The Little Things, Malignant, Sherlock Holmes 3, Zack Snyder's Justice League, but that's obviously uh, HBO Max thing, and Wish Dragon, Suicide Squad. Tom and Jerry is another one. The list is pretty... There's actually a lot. I was surprised by how much is on the actual slate. Um, So if you are living in America, chances are, if you have a HBO Max subscription, you're going to be able to get to watch these for a month at home, as well as having the option, if you are able to, and comfortable to, to be able to go see them at the cinema. We've already got the news that Wonder Woman has tripled the amount of viewing hours for HBO Max in the first 24 hours, so it seems potentially the model may be a hit for them. It'll all come down to subscriber numbers at the end of the day. I suppose that's another thing, because then you kind of go back to the old, old box office figures. How much money do they make at the box office? Well, there isn't a box office anymore, so then how do you quantify for films a success? Well, exactly, which is something that people are looking at with Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman just made uh, between 16 and $17 million in America in its opening weekend, over the Christmas weekend. It's something like 84% less than the first Wonder Woman made in its opening weekend, but it still made $17 million, or 16 point something, uh, when only 32% of American cinemas are open. So the argument then becomes, yes, it's a disastrous amount of money, but it's also the the biggest box office weekend for the entire of 2020 from when the pandemic started. So it's just, it's an impossible market to tell. And that's probably part of people's issue at the moment is actually how do you read a market that there is no precedence for? So it will, yeah, it will come down to subscriber figures, subscriber numbers, how much there'll be, how many people started Wonder Woman and finished Wonder Woman, how many people started it and didn't finish it. That's one thing that people often ask about with Netflix is, yes, you might say that 50 bajillion people watched Stranger Things, but how many people watched every episode and how many people watch it from start to finish or how many people start and don't finish. But it's, yeah, an impossible 
field to try and navigate through, but I guess it's something that we will probably come to learn to deal with a lot more in the near future. If you have thoughts on this, and I'm sure many of you do have thoughts on Warner Brothers plans, and actually, you know, there's still an uncertainty for us here in the UK. We know that Wonder Woman 1984 is coming to pay video on demand, so things like Prime and iTunes and Google Play Store on the 13th of January and will be available for, I think, again, a month to rent and then we'll go back to just being in the cinema and then follow the usual pattern. So there's there's plenty of uncertainty. But if you if you have thoughts on this, then please do get in touch and let us know what you think. You can find us on social media at Get Your Comic On on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find me at Neil Vag if you want to interact with me. As always, you can also interact with Martin at Boy Wonder nineteen eighty nine. But um, he talks about medical stuff. You can't nod. It's podcast. Oh yeah, sorry, nodding, nodding. Next up on the news slate uh, for this week is uh, plenty of Star Trek news. So there's a lot going on with Star Trek on the small screen right now. So we're wrapping up Discovery Season 3. We have uh, two episodes left on Netflix or CBS All Access in America. So production has already started on Season 4. They are currently filming. They're probably two or three episodes deep now, depending on when they broke for Christmas. Star Trek Picard Season 2. Uh, So season two of Picard was due to start filming in January, but Jerry Ryan has just confirmed in a a tweet to a fan that they have now bumped filming to February the 1st. That's because they film in Southern California, which is currently seeing quite a spike in COVID cases, so they are doing everything they can to make sure that the set is safe. Currently, there aren't any restrictions on Hollywood productions, only the, the kind of local policies and procedures that the studio put in place. So they're just obviously making sure that things are going to be safe for the cast and crew to be able to film that one properly. We're also expecting uh, production to start on Brave New Worlds in February. So that's the, or even potentially January, depending on when they want to get going, or whether they want to be getting two shows off the ground at the same time. So that's the Pike, Spock, number one series. Uh, They will be filming in Ontario, Canada. So similar to where Disco films. So Disco and Brave New Worlds will be kind of in a similar location. (laughs) Whilst Picard will be in Southern California. There's also Section 31, so uh, spoiler alert for anybody that's not quite up to date with Star Trek Discovery Season 3, you may want to jump ahead a minute or so. Michelle Yeoh, uh, Captain, Emperor, whatever you'd like to call her, Philippa, George Yu, has now exited Star Trek Discovery, and uh, development continues on the Section 31 series. She said in her exit interviews from Disco that she's absolutely not done with Star Trek in any way, shape or form, and that they are still working out exactly what that's going to look like but expect section 31 to not to debut in 2021 i wouldn't have thought but to at least get into production and maybe arrive on screens in 2022 maybe it's going to be a case of there'll be a disco and a picard and another show Oh, this is some, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of Trek, this one. And then finally, uh, is some very exciting news for fans in the UK with the confirmation that Star Trek Lower Decks finally, finally has uh, somewhere, has a home, somewhere to call home in the UK. So they have, this is a deal that has been in place for quite a long time, but they weren't able to talk about it. You remember we talked about previously that... Um, Discovery was supposed to air first and then Lower Decks, and that they were going to reveal the Lower Decks situation during that idea of how it would all have unraveled. But with Disco being postponed, they switched the order. And here we are, only just finding out now. But I can tell you that Star Trek Lower Decks will be coming to Amazon Prime Video in the UK, the rest of Europe. We're not in Europe anymore. You know what I mean? Those people that we used to be part of. Japan, India, New Zealand, and Australia... The entire 10-episode season will stream from January the 22nd. So it's not going to be like a weekly release thing. They're just going to drop all 10 episodes, which I'm sure uh, anti-Trek YouTubers out there, not that I can think of anyone in particular, will suggest that that's just it being dumped somewhere and to be forgotten about. But it's going to be available at last for people in the UK to watch and enjoy. We reviewed... I think the whole season. I have a funny feeling I may have forgotten to review the season finale, but we have reviews for most of uh, (laughs) the season of Star Trek Lower Decks up on the website now, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. Just put a little Star Trek Lower Decks in the search box and you'll be able to get everything, all our coverage on that one. Uh, That was a lot of me. Anything that... what? Anything stand out there that you're excited about? 
Yeah, I was going to say, do I have any news? I'm like, well, not really. I mean... <laughs> any news from you? Um, no, we uh, had a nice Christmas, made a cheesecake. It's about really, yeah. Uh, excited that Disco is already filming? I think so, yeah. Excited that Picard is getting ready to film? I'm ready for a bit more Picard. We've almost finished our rewatch of Picard yes. 1. Actually, it's worth noting for any fans in the UK, Star Trek Picard has finally been announced to uh, come on uh, DVD and Blu-ray in the UK. It's been out for a little while in America, but wasn't available over here. It is releasing... The full first season on DVD and Blu-ray on January the 25th. So that is when you'll be able to get your hands on a copy and all of the bonus features. I'm dying to see the uh, blooper reel. Brave New World? I think I've, we've, I've asked you about your Star Trek thoughts before. You were a bit meh on this one. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm open to it. I just I worry that it's going to go to a Star Wars place. and Oversaturation? Oversaturation of the market. I like a bit of Star Trek. I'm a bit of a Trekkie. I do like a bit of... I'm contemplating restarting Voyager this week. But Currently forty nine ninety nine on iTunes. I nearly bought it for you yesterday. For the whole thing? Yeah. 14. 40. Oh, 40. No. The last tempting. <laughs> Is it in 4K? <coughs> no. No. It's not even in HD. Oh, no. Uh, it's not available in HD anyway. Well, that was on DVD. Not DVD. Blu-ray. No. Doesn't that do a Blu-ray? No. no. You can only get the original series and Next Generation on Blu-ray. Oh, that's sad. They've not gotten around to remastering the rest yet. Oh, well. Maybe we'll wait. What was the question? Uh, was there anything out of that a data dump of Star Trek that particularly excites you? Oh, all of it. I did, yeah. More Trek. Give me more Trek, but not all at once. Space it out. Don't oversaturate my Trek. Very good. Leave me wanting more. Like this podcast. Always leaves them wanting more. Yeah. Treat us mean and keep us keen. <laughs> That's it for the news this week. Uh, we will roll in to our review for this episode, which is Warner Brothers' latest release, uh, now available in cinemas in the UK and in select theatres in the US, and also available to stream on HBO Max, Wonder Woman 1984. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. The time will come, Diana. Everything will be different. Rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all new foes, Max Lord and Cheetah. Once again, written and directed by Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman 1984 stars Gal Gadot as. I was about to say Gal Gadot as Chris Pine. Gal Gadot as Diana Prince, Chris Pine as Steve Trevor, Kristen Wiig as Barbara Minerva, slash Cheetah, Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord, Robin Wright returns as Antiope, and Connie Nielsen returns as Hippolyta. You also get the returning Lily Aspel as the young Diana, who is a massive standout in this film, I would like to point out. We will, because we always forget to do this, we'll have a little discussion about our thoughts on the film, no spoilers, and then I will try and remember to say, spoiler alert! And we'll go a little bit deeper into it. So, I got to go to a press screening of this one, which was very exciting. I got to see it at the BFI IMAX in Waterloo, which uh, was great because the film does have some scenes which were shot in IMAX. You unfortunately had to catch this one at home a little bit later because of social distancing measures. So we've had slightly different Wonder Woman experiences. But tell me your what you were hoping for from this film, whether you were excited by the trailer for it. Um, oh, I don't know. I was excited. Okay. I wasn't really hoping for anything. No? I was just hopeful that it was going to be good. Okay. And your thoughts having now seen it? It was alright. And for those at home who are not familiar with uh, Martin and his Scottish heritage, if it goes up at the end of It's Alright, that means he kind of liked it. If it goes really up, that means he really liked it. And if it stays flat, it's just sort of okay. So, is that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Um, it was a thumbs up. Okay. I thought it was good. Yep. Was it worth the wait? Probably. Okay. Um, did I want a little bit more? Maybe. But I don't know what more that was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I was I was very excited for this one. I, I really enjoyed the trailers. I liked the 80s the 80s aesthetic and I was really hoping that Patty Jenkins was going to make a this is how I keep saying it to people I wanted her to make an 80s sci-fi movie not a 
comic book movie set in the 80s. And I think she did that. So I was... After my first watch, I was really excited by the whole thing. I'm not going to lie, it choked me up on more than one occasion towards the end of the film. Uh, I did blub in the cinema, which is quite embarrassing. And I did do that again when I watched it at home afterwards. Uh, So emotionally quite impactful, I found. So what were your favourite parts of it then? Uh, Put Gal Gadot aside for a moment. Favourite character other than Wonder Woman? Probably Barbara Minerva. Okie dokie. And why Barbara? Well, I thought she did it very well. You yeah. you quite like Kristen Wiig, don't you? I do quite like a bit of Kristen Wiig anyway. I think she's quite funny. And yeah. I, I like the, the fact that she was able to do a bit of humour, but do serious as well. And how did you... So, obviously, you know her from things like Bridesmaids, Ghostbusters. I was going to say Ghost Whisperer. No. Um, no, I don't think I know that programme. And her comedic stuff. How did you feel she held the dramatic side of things and the action? She did very well. I was very impressed with her. She was flying a bit all over the place, being very action-packedful. Action-packedful. I mm. like that. It's a technical term. Just developed it. Um, nothing. She did very well. Okay. Uh, what else do I want to ask you in this grilling? I'll tell you what, might. So my, I would agree with you. I would probably say my favourite character of the of the new characters would be Barbara Minerva. I thought she had a a good arc from start to finish. I felt like. She started in a particular place where it gave me a little shade of Michelle Pfeiffer's Selena Kyle, almost. The kind of the kind of dorkiness of her, the corn dog kind of thing. And then I felt like it was a very slow, very well-rounded arc towards where she ended up at the end of the film. How did you feel about Maxwell Lord then? I mean, he was all right. He was just there, wasn't he? Um I don't really know much about his comic book character, okay. but then I'm kind of glad I didn't because I didn't want to sort of hold him against that. Yeah. I think it was an interesting character. It was a very much an 80s film, as you said. Yeah. So I think once you get into the mindset of, okay, this is an 80s film, then that's fine. You just dispel all belief. Yes, and, and I think you you're onto something right there. To today's standards. So I have the, I have the complete converse of that. In that I do know Max Lord from the from the comics, and there was a moment for me in the cinema when I was watching this film for the first time, where I thought, "Well, this isn't Maxwell Lord from the comic books," and I did have to stop myself from for a minute and kind of go, "But I still quite like what they've done." And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we slap the spoiler alert on it. But it is it is very different from his comic book origin, and I can kind of understand why they did it because. When you think about it too much, he is a bit of a carbon copy of Lex Luthor with just added metahuman abilities when he has them um, in the comics. So I do wonder if they flex that slightly, both for the 80s aesthetic, but also to stand him apart from Lex Luthor, as it were. Story-wise, what do you think of the story? I thought it was an okay story. Um, It kind of grounds it in the Wonder Woman verse with the links to the old gods and how yep. it's the, the mischiefness of it all um, I'm not I'm not massively familiar with Wonder Woman comics so I'm yep. not really sure the origin of the cheetah and how she comes about and all that jazz not hugely well actually it depends there's been a few different cheetahs over the years and there's also been a few different origins for barbara minerva's cheetah so this isn't a million miles away but also isn't completely ripped from the comics okay oh well, that's fine I mean, it doesn't matter i mean i think it was a good story um it was a little bit slow in some bits so we yeah. liked a bit more sort of like come on let's keep the pace up here yeah but otherwise it was all right so some american reviewers more so, I think, than the, the European and the international reviewers have called it quite bloated and overlong, which I do. I agree with you. I think there are a couple of slow moments. There was, I mean, I always have to put a caveat on these things when I see them for the first time. I'm going to get overexcited even if I've read what happens or even if my opinion changes a little bit later on. Because it's a comic book movie and because it's a DC movie, I'm always going to be a bit overexcitable. So there was a moment in... Uh, So once you've done the opening scene on Themyscira and then the next kind of the first scene where you see Gal Gadot's Diana in the 1980s, there was a point about 20, 25 minutes later where I did (laughs) sit in there overdramatically go, (gasps) 
I don't think I like this film. It's gone really slow. But then I felt like everything that happened after that, once it starts to pick up the pace again, completely, for me, did away with any thought of, oh God, this is too slow. If that makes sense? Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so you liked it. Some of it was a little bit long, but you liked it anyway. Yeah. Okay. I, I just had that worry that it was going to be really slow and I wasn't going to like it. But because it picks up the pace later on, I felt like it allowed it to be slow in the beginning because you had to introduce Barbara and Max and then bring back Steve. And I don't think if you did that too quickly, you would have felt as much for those characters a little bit later on. Yeah, because I mean, that was important in her development as a person. As a character. Interestingly, I read a review earlier that said they felt there was no... And I'm not negating anybody else's opinion on this film. Everyone's opinion is valid. But one that surprised me particularly was I read a review that said that they felt there was absolutely no character development for Diana for the entire film. Oh, really? I suppose she's quite a hard character to develop because she is Wonder Woman. And she has an evolved sensibility from her time growing up on Themyscira yeah. so she she okay she has to learn a world view but her morals and everything are very well defined from the minute she leaves the island so I don't feel like there is a huge amount for her to do there other than to learn about the world of man which she's kind of done because it was really sad at the beginning where everybody she loved has died spoiler well I mean that's obvious isn't it? <laughs> We've gone from not, that's not a huge spoiler <laughs> people in World War One died um and then she's sort of like, oh, I don't want to trust and love anybody. And then she does let somebody in and then they turn out to be a tiger cheetah type thing that tries to eat her. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, I would understand you. You'd be a little bit shaky, like, oh, hold on a minute here. Yeah. So that same review actually criticised the fact that she's gone 60 years from the first film to this film and is still grieving for, for Steve Trevor. But I don't... I just think that's part of Patty Jenkins really and you can love this or hate this I I bought into this in this particular film but her overly romanticised idea of humanity I think if you look at this film and you look at the society that's portrayed in this film and you can draw parallels to Richard Donner's Superman and the kind of Christopher Reeve era which we know she's hugely influenced by but I think there is a very optimistic and hopeful view of humanity. So, you know, she held on to her one true love for all that time, and he was the thing that she wanted most in the world. And I'm going to, I will say this without giving spoilers, but the way that the wider society is portrayed, there you could nitpick at the big kind of conclusion, but it's, a, it's an overly romanticized, optimistic view of humanity. I could say it more graphically, but it would give away the end of the film, and I don't want to do that for people that haven't seen it yet. Oh, we're not doing that yet? Okay. No. Uh, is there Well, if is there anything else that you would like to say about this film in a non-spoiler type sense? Mm, no. Give us your recommendation to somebody who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, give it a watch. Not going to do any harm not to watch it. Okay, fair enough. So we'll say from this point onwards, then, uh, we'll discuss this a little bit more in terms of, uh, in terms of spoilers. So if you if you don't want to be spoiled, if you've not seen this film yet, then please do skip ahead to the next section. Uh, you can get the, the timestamps in the description below so you can see exactly where you need to jump to. But from now on in, this is spoiler territory for Wonder Woman 1984. First things first then, Dreamstone. Giant MacGuffin or genuine 80s movie sci-fi? I think when it appeared on the screen, I went, oh, MacGuffin. You did, actually. The first words out of your mouth were, oh, MacGuffin. But then that's an 80s thing, isn't it? I mean, it's always going to be a MacGuffin. And it's Wonder Woman, and it's a, a relic from the gods. So and that's yeah. pretty much on par with what I would expect from those types of yeah. stories. So I think it's quite... It's going to be, given that this film seems to be quite divisive, I think it's going to be a really interesting talking point. And I can guarantee that somebody will argue with me until they're blue in the face about it. But I, like I said... I wanted to see an 80s sci-fi movie, not a comic book movie of contemporary sensibilities set in the 80s. So when we watched it, I mentioned things like that scene where Barbara drops the suitcase and how the papers change in every single shot. 
I guarantee you somebody will argue with me until they're blue in the face that that's a continuity error and that that is just really lazy filmmaking. But I choose to see that because it's so goddamn obvious and I picked up on it at first watch, which I do not generally pick up on errors at first watch, that that is like a a loving nod to 80s movies where continuity is not what it is now. Does that make sense? Yeah, because there's a lot of continuity errors, so you think that it's not an accident. That's been done on purpose. I... I mean, I don't know Patty Jenkins. I've never met her. But she does not strike me as an unintelligent or uninvolved filmmaker. So things that are obvious like that, which are the kinds of things that you would see in an 80s movie, because it's not like it's it's stuff that we've never seen before. It's those kinds of things that when you think 80s movie, you think, well, they never bothered to pick up on that. You know, those clothes changed, those papers moved. It's just, it's the it's tiny details like that which make me think that that was a nod to the era of 80s kind of sci-fi filmmaking. And it never happened in the first one. So and it never happened in the first one. And that's the thing. And I, I do think there were people that would argue until the end of time that this is just sloppy filmmaking, which is why I've said from the very beginning, I don't think this film will land with everyone. I mean, people like argue about anything, really, won't they? Well, I know. If you go on Twitter, people will argue with you about anything. But I just... It's always been my point since the first trailer for this film that I felt like it was going to be the movie that it is. So I felt like I knew... I, I saw a film that I expected from the trailer and I expected all along that it wouldn't land with certain people. I liked The Dreamstone. I thought it was a perfect 80s MacGuffin. I also... So, okay. Uh, thinking Dreamstone, what... And I know I talked about it when we watched it... What did you think of what Max did with it to to wish to become it rather than say, oh, I have a wish. I wish for more wishes. Yeah, that was interesting. I liked that he did that because it made a MacGuffin less MacGuffin-y. Because yeah. then it was less about let's find the magic stone to unwish everything that's happened in the wish. And actually he is the magic stone. Let's go find the dagger that can point us to the two devices that can tell us to go to the planet where the emperor is. Oh no, it's broken. Oh wait, there's another one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It unmaguffined the MacGuffin. It made him the MacGuffin. Yeah. And he MacGuffined himself towards the end. Yeah. He's like, ah, have another one. Yeah. Have another wish. Exactly. MacGuffins for all. And I'm not I am not trying to say that this is the most intelligent film on the planet. I am self aware enough that it's a comic book movie. Just switch off. There's just extra switch-offedness about this film. Uh, okay, Cheetah. So, uh, you've already said that you liked her character. She was your favourite of the new characters. What did you think of uh, the makeup design, the CGI for her when we get to see her in, in character, when she's fully transformed? I thought it was really good. Um, I mean, it's quite difficult to do. It was always going to be difficult to pull off. <laughs> it's not cats. It's not cats, thank God. She's not got an old lady hand. <laughs> That would be in reference to the cat's cut where you can see Judy Dench's human hand wearing a wedding ring. Um, so I think it was done very well. I mean, well done them. Well done them. Well, well done that woman. Well done that woman. <laughs> I really appreciated the fact that uh, I think, and again, I don't know Patty Jenkins, but that they... The, <laughs> they're trying really hard to be friends with Patty Jenkins. <laughs> That's because she's awesome. Um <laughs> No, what I was going to say was the scene. The scenes with her fully transformed are at night, which I think does mask some of what might not be the world's greatest CGI. Why not play to your strengths? If you know it might not look great in full daylight, do it in film it in twilight, film it at nighttime, so that you do hide that a little bit. Guaranteed, some people will say, "Well, I wanted to see the whole thing," but you know, play to your strengths. I really appreciated the fact that. When you then went into a close-up on her face, it really was Kristen Wiig's face with prosthetic makeup and just an augmented kind of body. In fact, I'm not even entirely sure in some scenes if she wasn't just wearing, like, fur prosthetics over her shoulders. Somebody say a cat suit. A cat suit. She might have been wearing a cat suit. I like that. <laughs> I do wish we'd seen more of her. That's the only thing. And I do wish that the character had had a slightly different end. Yeah, but I suppose in a way it's kind of the message of the film is about coming together and all that isn't it absolutely learning lessons yep so you lead me perfectly into my next point which is uh how did you feel about how maxwell lord's story wound up i mean he was fine in the end wasn't he i mean nothing really happened to him i guess we presume that he went to prison after that but for what though 
nearly bringing humanity to its end. But what law did he break? He didn't break any laws. He didn't true. do anything. That's actually true. That's a very good point. There's not a wishing law. Well, as you as you well know, um, this must be the multiverse or must never really have happened because it wasn't referenced in Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman or Justice League. Oh, but why would it have been? <laughs> Moving on. Um, I mean, really, I mean... Oh, look, here comes Steppenwolf. Do you remember what happened in the 80s? Similarly, that was a weird summer. Why didn't Wonder Woman just grab Steppenwolf and fly off somewhere? Well, because he was a bit more wriggly, wasn't he? Okay, yeah. uh, I digress. Uh, I I agree with you. I like the way his character ended. I thought it was a really emotional scene. A couple of people, that a couple of friends have said that they didn't really like the child actor who played his son, so didn't really feel any emotion in that moment. But I, it's not one of the moments that choked me up. But I do like that scene where he. I guess it's almost a Martha moment anyway, where he's like, Alistair! Alistair! And then the kid comes running out of the woods and they have that nice moment where they're reunited. I guess it's just that I like the fact that we didn't kill off either villain, which is unusual for a comic book movie. Not just a DC movie, but comic book movies in general. Both villains are still alive at the end. And that actually, in a way, they're almost not... They are villains. They're more antagonists than out-and-out villains. There are shades of grey to both of them. When you think Ares and Dr. Poison. Dr. Poison? What's she called? Dr. Poison. It is Dr. Poison, yeah. right? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but they were they were out-and-out villains. Or you think the Joker, out-and-out villain. The Riddler, out-and-out villain. These were these were more shades of grey and there was more life lessons to be learned from them. They were victims of the situation. They were. It was a kind of a story of absolute power corrupts for both of them. But speaking of the ending... The actual kind of climax of the film, I guess there is, a, you do have the fight with Cheetah, there is that moment, but then the real climax of the film is much more of an emotional piece. So what were your thoughts on that? It was a bit, it was alright, it was very, very hopeful, very empowering. <laughs> I love that you're saying that in a kind of a, ugh, God, it was just so nice. Yeah, but I'm a bit like, ugh, um, but uh, it was kind of fits nicely with the end of the year we've had anyway. Like, yes. Please. Be hopeful. Was that your Gal Gadot impression? No, I don't know what that was. Just... <laughs> okay. So, point on what you just said. And this is something that I've talked God, to a few people into, about. It's actually pointed at me gesticulating quite a lot. <laughs> Do you think if this film had come out when it was supposed to, or had it come out and we hadn't had COVID-19 in 2020 as it is... How do you think that message would land? Do you think it would land as much as it does? No, probably not. It would be like, oh, okay, she's just been a bit like, uh, hopeful. Yeah. Like I just did right now. Because uh. um, that's what she does. And that's just Wonder Woman. Be like, we must strive for the better in ourselves. Come so together I, for humanity. I genuinely bold. Well, I know you would because you like all that stuff. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. Uh, well, I don't... It's just how we balance each other. I'm incredibly cynical. You're incredibly hopeful. True. Um... The thing that really got me was that I didn't expect it. So even when she was being all hopeful, I mean, I haven't had the year that many people have had. I, you know, I'm I'm freely able to admit that I am a white male of privilege. I have not had a rough year. I have had a very different year, like everyone else has. But I wouldn't say I feel emotionally scoured by 2020. Yet those words as she spoke to... And the fact that they used that piece of music from... Batman versus Superman, which is quite an emotional piece of music, it really, really hit me. It was like in that moment, I suddenly thought, wow, this has been a really, really shit year, and this is the kind of message that I need to hear right now. Where was you were thinking? Well, no, I thought, okay, that's nice. That, you know, I've... <laughs> I have to remind myself that they didn't film it specifically for the end of 2020, that it happened before all this. There yeah. are some cynical people that think that that was slotted in because so much of it was in voiceover. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was. Well, I don't think it was anyway. But I don't right. think it was either. No, I mean, it's, it was nice. It was fine. It was Wonder Woman. She's very hopeful, and she does like to give that message of hope in a speech. Absolutely. That's how they concluded Justice League Dark. It was a hopeful message from Wonder Woman. And oh, in the comic the book. Band. She was like, you can do it. Believe in humanity. There you go. It's So... You are the best you. 
In other words, it my my review uh, verdict is pretty much spot on. Then uh, I will I will tell you what that is, and then we will kind of wrap this up. I do want to talk about Steve Trevor for a second first, but my so my verdict was Wonder Woman 1984 embodies everything which makes Diana an icon of the comic book world: hope, strength, and love. 2020 never knew it needed this film so badly, and actually, I having seen it a couple more times, I do think that it isn't as exciting as it was the first time I saw it because I have my comic book movie geek afterglow of the first time I've seen it, but. I unapologetically stand by the fact that I enjoyed this film and that is what I think of it. I mean, I think that's okay. You're allowed to have an opinion. Absolutely. So just before we wrap up on Wonder Woman, I did just want to mention Steve Trevor. Steve. 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 Um, Okay, so uh, first point, do you think he was written back into the story in a very natural and organic way for the story of this film? I think so. um, But... It was all right. It was a little bit like, oh, he's back. I couldn't, I mean, I don't... He probably needed to come back to fulfil that part of her story and accepting that these things happen and that she could do as a person. And it was nice that he came back as somebody else. You'd have to be like, oh, he's back from the dead. That's convenient. Let's just say, DC fun fact, the actor who played Steve Trevor has also been in DC before. He played the uh, Nightwing rip-off Darkstrike in an episode of 2002's Birds of Prey. It's like a Poundland Nightwing. Poundland Nightwing, yes. Uh, I completely agree with you. I What I really appreciated... What was his actual character name? It wouldn't have been Dick Grayson. No, it wasn't. Uh, was it like Bob Yellow? I'll have daughter? to... Let's look it up on IMDb. Um, what I was going to say there was, um, I was glad that they tied in his return to the major story of the film rather than had it just conveniently be that he was back. Yeah, uh, 80s movie, you could have just said, oh, by some miracle, he was gifted to her. Whereas at least, actually, they tied it into the MacGuffin, they tied it into the central part of the story. And actually, what I hadn't anticipated right off the bat was the fact that it was the monkey's paw. Even when they said the monkey's paw, it didn't dawn on me that every wish would take something away at the same time. So there was a kind of like a slow realisation for me that she was losing her strength. And so it made the whole stiff situation a lot more emotional. But then she learned how to fly after that, so it all worked out in the end. Do you know, I've also just discovered that Sportsmaster from Stargirl was in an episode of um, Birds of Prey. Was he? Who yeah. was he? He was in an episode called Nature of the Beast, which was um, about um, the guy that killed the original Black Canary, Al Hawk. He was his. So the guy is listed as specialist. <laughs> Whoever that is, he was specialist. I'm trying to remember. Oh, he was in episode seven, Split. Uh, the the guy that's in Wonder Woman. His name is Christopher Palaha. He was just called Dark Strike. He's, he's just credited as Darkstrike, so I don't know that he has a real name. Um, yeah. Well, I should call him Bob Yellow Son, Yellow Daughter. Okay, so uh, let's just stick with Steve Trevor for oh. <laughs> a second. Uh, okay, so that that whole monkey's paw, give up, you know, she lost her strength, had to give up Steve. How did you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a trade-off. Um, I, it was a little bit like, oh, she's lost her strength, but she's still pretty strong. But then I thought, well, actually, she's an Amazon, so she would be pretty strong. She's a different Amazon because she's half a god. So they're probably taking her god strength, not her Amazon strength. True. That moment when she renounces her wish and they kind of have their little last goodbye moment, that was the first time the film really choked me up. It kind of hits quite close to home for me in a situation we don't need to go into here with the whole I had a good life thing. But it just it hit me much more than I expected it to. That's the sign of a good filmmaker, though. That's true. And actually, really grabbing I, you by the short and curlies and pulling out those hat strings. I also think it's really worth noting that I do think that this is Gal Gadot's best performance of any film I've seen her in. I think she shows a range and a depth that's more than we've seen her do before, even as Wonder Woman. And in that moment, I just, I, I, it's not even, I wasn't looking at Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman, Chris Pine playing Steve Trevor. That was just. Diana and Steve having to say goodbye to each other. Completely convinced by the whole thing. Again, the trauma of saying that again. If one yes, with I know, bringing that music back. Great, as Hans Zimmer, bloody genius. Hans! Hans! Uh, Hans, I love you! Oh, dear. Um, yeah, very emotional. Very, very well done. I think there are some great emotional beats throughout the whole film. It's, I, have, I have very little else to say other than I do 
I don't think it's a perfect film, but what film is, I do think it's incredibly enjoyable. I think there is some great action. I think there is some great music. I think there are some great effects. I think there is some great acting. So I highly recommend that. If you are able to check this film out in a safe environment, then please do go and see Wonder Woman 1984. Any other thoughts from you just to wrap up on this film? No, it's a good film. Have a wee watch. Think of it as an 80s film and you'll be grand. Okay. Well, just to recap, Wonder Woman 1984 is available in UK cinemas now. It will come to pay video on demand services in the UK and Ireland on January the 13th for one month and will continue to be in cinemas. It's currently available in select theatres and HBO Max in the US now. And check your local listings for availability. One final feature, our final feature of 2020. Our favourite moments of the year. Yeah. So I hope you've had a chance. <laughs> There's not been very many of them. This will be a short list. Yes. So I would like to know from you your top five uh, film, TV and comics. Oh, can we do them one at a time? Ask me one at a time. Yeah. Would you like me to kick off with my top five films? Yes, because I, can, I can't remember anything really. <laughs> so this is why I use Letterboxd. Because I know all the films I've seen this year and how I've ranked them. Oh, I don't do that. So I can tell you that I have seen 39 new films this year, released this year. And I can tell you the order in which they they land. So my top five films for this year are, in fifth place, The Invisible Man. Of which you can hear me talk about that film in an earlier podcast. How you... did you see it? I... <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Dad Humour has reached uh, the episode. So that came, that was the last uh, press screening that I went to before the very first lockdown. In fourth place is... Oh, gosh, I've just realised that three of the top five are Warner Brothers films. Uh, number, in fourth place is Tenet, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which was out earlier in the summer. In third place is Wonder Woman 1984, which we have just discussed. In second place is an absolutely bloody brilliant horror film called Bloody Hell which I reviewed earlier this year and saw at a festival. Really, really good film. I cannot recommend it enough if you're able to check it out. It's just picked up a release deal, and I will make sure that you are all kept closely informed as to where you're able to see this film. And my number one film for the year. Drumroll, please. (laughs) Drumroll and a Jumping Cat is... Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. What was that this year? That was this year. Let me see your thing and I'll pick up. So we started the year with... Letterbox. We started the year with Birds of Prey and we ended it with Wonder Woman. Is this the new films? This is all the films I've seen this year. So, Martin, Boy Wonder, give us your top five films of 2020. So I didn't realise there were so many films of this year. Who knew? So I'm not going to rank them. I'm just going to give you five. Because I don't feel like giving things a hierarchy. Okay. I don't want to upset anybody. Flying in the face of the top five feature. Yeah. But there we go. Well, they're not top five. They're just five. Five <laughs> of five of the best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just get on with it. Uh, so I'm going to go with Harley Quinn and Bob. Yes. Birds of the Prey. Uh, we'll have Wonder. We'll have a bit of Wonder Woman. A bit yes. of Wonder Woman. We'll have a bit of Justice League Dark Apocalypse a war. Of course, yes. That Just was... outside my top five. It's currently in sixth place. Well, I'm not in my top five. I know, I know. But what's that? That's three, isn't it? Yes. Um, what else will we have? What will we have? You can really tell, uh, listeners, that Martin's put thought into this feature. Oh, Onward. I liked Onward. That was a good... That was a top pick of the year. Really? That was a nice heart pull stringy one. Oh, I didn't think you liked that one very much. No, I quite liked that. Okay. And Available then, now on Disney Plus. Disney Plus. And then to finish it all off, in in the top but not top, because we're not ranking them, in the five, we'll have a bit of Death in the Family, just because. Oh. <laughs> just because. You okay. bit of Jason Todd. Interesting. Okay. That's probably because most of the other films that are in my list you've not seen. You've seen Sonic. You've seen The Witches. You've seen... Uh, Enola Holmes. Yeah, You've but seen Mortal Kombat Legends. They're not the best five. You've seen Tenet. Yeah, that's definitely not the top five. You've seen Soul. You've seen Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons. You've seen about half these films. Okay. Well, top five TV shows of the year. Well, you've not got an app for that, have you? I nope, remember. I don't have an app for that. So I have it... to go first. Yep, you do. Okay, bugger. Uh, ah, bloody hell. 
I'm going to go Picard. That was this year, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That was very good. That'd be in there. Again, not rated. Okay. Because I don't. These are just five. Yep. I don't want to upset any of the TV series. They're all very good. Uh, so Picard, I've said that. I'm going to go. Oh, flight attendant. That was a that was a jolly good watch. That was a jolly good watch, and I think we should probably table that for a discussion next episode. Yes, let's do that. That's. Can I? Do I um, is Disco on the list? It's not finished yet. Will it be finished by the end of the year? No. No. Okay, we'll go Lower Decks then. Okay. Oh, we'll okay. Again, I was I didn't think you were a massive fan of Lower Decks. No, I quite liked Lower Decks. It was quite funny. What else was there? I think we're going to have very similar lists at this point. And I think we'll round off with a bit of DCTV with a double bill of Stargirl. Right. And Doom Patrol. Oh, okay. they were this year, weren't they? They, they were this yeah. year, yes. It's been such a long year... I don't remember what happened at the start. This is going to be really disappointing because you and I have got very similar lists. Uh, so my uh, my number five for this year would be... Um, oh, God, ranking that one. <laughs> so old-fashioned. Uh, my number five for this year would uh, would be Stargirl. And it's definitely in my top five TV series for this year. I think that has been a great one. I'm glad that it is now on Amazon Prime in the UK. And you can also pick it up on DVD and Blu-ray. So actually people that haven't had a chance to see it yet actually can. Uh, Also available on iTunes. (laughs) It's a phrase I don't get to say very often. In fourth place for me for 2020, I think I would put Lower Decks. I think it was a nice surprise. That was a TV series that I went into thinking, I'm not sure how Star Trek will be able to do this and pull it off and be funny and adult and at the same time still be relevant to Star Trek. And I think it was both of those things, which is great. In third place would be We Are Who We Are. It's a bit of a mouthful. A lot of W's there. W-A-W-W-A. Wah-wah. wah wah uh, it's uh, it was on HBO Max in America and HBO and is available in the UK on uh, BBC iPlayer. It's by Luca. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that. I'm not going to muck it up. It's the guy who directed uh, Call Me by Your Name. So it stars Jack Dylan Grazer from um, Shazam, Freddy from Shazam, and it's just it's a it's a coming of age story based on an American army base in Italy. Just about a group of teenagers, and it's an exploration of gender and sexual identity and growing up. And it's a really touching, hard hitting, but nice series to watch. So that is my third place. Uh, in at number two. <laughs> in at number two. Is this a non mover or has it moved up a bit? <laughs> in at number two is Harley Quinn season two. Uh-huh. Number two. From uh, from earlier this year, I, I had, for a second I had to remember whether this was actually this year or not. It's Harley Quinn's a bit of a weird one because season one only finished at the beginning of this year, and then we only had like three weeks break between season one and season two. I think it was six weeks. Uh, but season two of Harley Quinn, absolutely cannot recommend enough. Still not sure whether it's going to air on E4 in the UK like season one did, so it's currently not available in the UK, but hopefully will come soon. Available on DVD in America and on HBO Max. Soon to be released on Blu-ray. We're just waiting for a release date confirmation from Warner Archive. And number one. And this year's number one for 2020. Would be The Flight Attendant. I think The Flight Attendant was, for me, a massive surprise. Anybody that listens to this show or follows our website knows we're fans of Harley Quinn, fans of the Big Bang Theory, and therefore fans of Ms. Kaylee Kowoko. So I went into this thinking I'm probably guaranteed to like it just because I think she's a very likable person and plays very likable characters. Cassie, not necessarily a hugely likable character, maybe. She definitely has her flaws. I liked her. I was very concerned for her. Yeah. But as a whole, that show, having never read the book, so not understanding anything more than the basic concept was a massive surprise for me and i think it's great to go into a suit that's why we are who we are is also on my list because it's another thing that i didn't have expectations for going into i just wanted to enjoy it and it just was much more enjoyable than i expected well i'm shocked that miss coco's managed to smash the top two sir patrick of stewart oh god i've not put picard in my top five wow um i well it would yeah that would probably be my joint number one to be honest but there we go i can't have more than five can't have more than five it's an honorable mention (laughs) 
Honourable mention. What a <laughs> slap in the face. Oh, well, Sir Patrick, if you're listening, I still love you. <laughs> well, I would have put Discovery in there as well, but then I didn't want to overload with Star Trek, so there we go. You can't have Discovery, it's not finished yet. I know. Uh, but I think that's just a sign that actually, in a year where we've not had a huge number of films, or well, you haven't, I have, um, there's been a huge amount of TV that's been really enjoyable. That leads us into top five comic books. Or me, me again. five comic books that you have enjoyed this year. Yes, no, none of this top five rubbish. Um, five comic books that I have enjoyed this year would be Justice League Dark. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I rushed to my tablet device to read it every week when it comes out. Was that your non-branded tablet device? <laughs> non-branded. Other tablets are available if Other you say the name. Other tablets are available. Uh, what else have what else have I read? What else? What else? Oh, let me rethink. Uh, Constantine in the Sandman universe. That was very good. I would mm-hmm. highly recommend you read that. Very weird, but very good at the same time. Um, Red Hood and the Outlaw, or Red Hood Outlaw, depending on where you are. Got a little bit slow in the middle, but it's picked up towards the end of the year. Very much enjoyed that. That's thoroughly enjoyable read. And is that that's three, isn't it? Yep. I'm going to bring in, I'm going to swing in here with a bit of Three Jokers. I was going to say Killing Joke, but that's not that. It's the Three Jokers. And that's four. And then in at number five would have to be... Do you know, I've picked up Batman again. Like, main continuity Batman. Under James Town in the fourth. Funny that, isn't it? I do like James Town in the fourth. You do? He did a very good run on Justice League Dark and he's taken it over into Batman. So I really enjoyed getting back into Batman with the Joker War. Mm. And that is my top five. An excellent arc. Well, I'm going to... Not top five. Five of the best. Yes. I'm going to do the same. An honourable mention. (laughs) Oh, really? I've not finished. Uh, Restarted Nightwing because he's Nightwing again. Yes. So I feel like I can read that again. Rather than Rick Grayson. Yeah. Okay, dokie. Well, I'm going to do the same as you, actually. I'm not going to have a top five in a, in a list of five to number one for comics because I, I just think all of the ones that I have selected are great. So I'm going to go for one that hasn't quite finished yet but is almost finished, which is Death Metal. A good Mr. Snyder, Mr. Capullo. I've not read that. Nope, you need to read that, but wait until it's finished, I think, and read it all in one go. That's been an excellent series. Another one which has been great is Power Rangers from Boom Studios. Go, Power, go. go Well, no, Go, Go Power Rangers actually finished a little while ago. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers has now finished as well, but has been excellent and has now rolled into two excellent series, which is Mighty Morphin and another series, which is called Power Rangers. Okay. Oh, God. I was just singing the song. All from Boom Studios, which were excellent. I am also going to pick Batman Three Jokers. It's undeniably an instant classic for the ages. Well, just copying me now. <laughs> no. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's another one of my top five. I think that is a absolute must read. That's probably the must read. If I was to have a top five comic books, that would be my number one for the year, basically. I will go back to Boom Studios for The Lovely Wind by James Tidy and the Fourth. I think that was a really nice, different comic for me. When we reviewed it on this podcast, I said it was outside my comfort zone because it was, I was about to say it's more of a boobs and dragons. It's not boobs and dragons. It's <laughs> it's um, it's that kind of my- mystical creatures and magic, which is not what I tend to read. But I think it's re- it's a really great read. And the whole first arc is available now. So that's one that you can pick up from Boom. That's, well, um, that's four. Uh, it's a toss up between Tinyans, Batman and... Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, you can all have one. I'll go Batman because I have to go Batman always with an honourable mention for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, honourable so, mentions, eh? Mm. <laughs> that means that all of my top five plus honourable mention are Boom and DC. Boom and DC have probably been my biggest companies this year. I, I mean, do apologise to other companies who are also available, but I, I am a I am a DC slash Boom kid. Very good. That's it. That's, that's the end of 2020. It's the end of 2020. The end of all life as we know it. Not quite. 
Not far off, but not quite. Yeah. Well, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. No, it no, have been much con- worse. I was convinced we were going to have Brexit, no deal, and we're going to be in Mad Max times. We're not quite in Mad Max times. Going to have to barter for fuel. We're in season one of Fear the Walking Dead on the way to The Walking Dead on the way to Mad Max. Now we'll be grand, we'll be fine. <laughs> Try not to worry about it. Watch Wonder Woman. Be fine. Watch Wonder Woman. Yeah. It's very optimistic and very hopeful. If you need to regain an optimistic view of humanity, just watch Wonder Woman 1984. That just leaves us to say thank you to everyone that has tuned in and listened this year. It's been a bit of a transformative year for us. You know, We've brought in some structure to the podcast. We've changed things up a little bit. We've done some interviews. We've given some stuff away. We've laughed a lot. There's a lot of outtakes of you burping and farting. And and so we head into 2021, full of hope and optimism, thanks to Wonder Woman. Hope, optimism, and potentially a vaccine. And potentially a vaccine. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time in the new year, where we will be talking, hopefully, about the flight attendant, because we've just said that we're going to do that, and we said last episode we were going to do that. So let's make sure we talk about that. You know, she's beaten Sir Patrick up. <laughs> Well, we'll only be talking about Picard because we will have hopefully had a chance to check out the bonus features on the Blu-ray and uh, I'm, I'm hoping for a wonderful blooper reel. If you, as we'll, always... We'll talk about him second though because he's not important. <laughs> All right, let it go. <laughs> if, you, if you have anything that you would like to comment on from this episode, uh, then please do get in touch via the usual channels at Get Your Comic Con on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook or you can find me at Neil Vag or check out our website www.getyourcomiccon.co.uk Likewise, if you have anything that you would like to recommend for a future show, then please do get in touch. Until next time, stay safe, stay happy, have a wonderful new year, see out 2020 in the best way possible, and look forward to a much happier, healthier 2021. Very well put. Goodbye! Bye.